Hello, I'm Peter Ayers, and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses World with the World War II gave us writing for Godot and Oklahoma. Without the arts, we are diminished. We had the kind of creative freedom. I was, I was on television as a child, and then I had I was in Cotty's happy hour. She leaned across to me and she said, one day, you know, you'll be doing that. Mind-boggling. They were even lined with purple leather. Uh, went to the ABC and audition. I was so fit at the end of that, you could have ended me in the Melbourne Cup. I, and I still firmly believe that great work can be made in small places. If nobody's going to respect your talent, you've got to respect it. I hope I've been entertaining, that's all. Well, that's very kind of you, Peter. But you are a friend. <laughs> and as are you. Yeah, it's a date. <laughs> it's a date. Hello. I'm Peter Ayers, and welcome to The Stages Podcast, the podcast that converses with creatives about craft and career. Today, we feature Australia's beloved musical icon, Marsha Hines. There is a visceral quality that is gifted in any performance given by Marsha Hines. Her stellar repertoire of popular music elicits joy, hope, and an overwhelming reason to smile. With a career spanning five decades, Marsha has released 22 albums selling 2.6 million copies and has garnered countless chart-topping singles and multi-platinum records. She's also made her mark in the theatre with extensive roles in a succession of musicals. Marsha arrived from the United States in 1970, having successfully auditioned for the Australian production of Hair. Her next venture in the theatre had her playing a leading role in Jesus Christ Superstar, in which she became the world's first black Mary Magdalene. She made her recording debut in 1975 with Fire and Rain, which was voted Single of the Year. In the next six years, she won three Queen of Pop awards and had her own television variety show, Marsha's Music. She quickly became one of our favourite artists. Theatre has complimented her career as a recording artist and we have relished her times on stage in shows such as Jerry's Girls, Are You Lonesome Tonight, Big River, Velvet, Shrek and Saturday Night Fever. Marsha possesses tremendous humility and grace. Her laughter is released like a melodious explosion and her energy is contagious. You're in for a treat as Stages revisits Marsha's musical theatre triumphs in a conversation with the great lady herself, Miss Marsha Hines. How was your morning? So far, so good. I, um, I've got a dog. Can you see the dog on the couch? He's gorgeous. Yeah, he is. And so we get, we get up, not early, but early enough, but it's so funny having someone watch everything you do. <laughs> and they watch everything I do, you know, and he starts to whimper when he knows my, I put my shoes on. He's cute. He's a good dog. So is he a new acquisition? No, no, no. We've had him for a while, but I never walked him this much because I never had the time, see? Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From the offset, I have to tell you, each time I listen to your music, it it is so joyful. It's lifted me out of the doldrums so many times. I, I, I can't oh. get a mention over the, the past few decades. What is oh, this magic? Lovely. What is this magic spell that you have that you can that you can weave through your music? I have no idea, but that's a very kind, very, very kind statement. I mean, look, all singers hope that they can touch somebody. You know, and and we're storytelling. So maybe I'm good at storytelling. You know, that's what a song is. A song, Peter, is storytelling. So, you know, maybe that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, and what, what makes you happy? Music, um, friends, laughter, the laughter of children. Um, just simple things, really simple things. Beautiful art. A, go- a really good belly laugh can make me very happy. I like, and I will laugh at myself. It's a very good, yeah. I think humor is a very large part of life, you know, and um, watching a great show on a theatrical stage or a concert stage just still sends me. It's so one of those things. Music, I- I'm never tired of it ever, you know. Music is my life. My life is music. That's me. <laughs> yeah, that's me. <laughs> Laughter certainly is uh, the best medicine, isn't it? The, the, you, you can't yes, replace that that uh, that release of endorphins that uh, that it's you can get from a really good belly laugh. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing, you know. Uh, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. A very large part of life, I think. I was told by my mother, "No fools, no fun." In other words, if people aren't foolish, there's no fun, you know. And it's yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. Do you have a favorite genre of music that you like to listen to 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 unwind? For me to unwind would have to be something classical. 
because um, I, I can't really listen to um, someone sing. So it would be a classical instrumental or anything instrumental, really. It depends on what the lead is. If I, I think of Kenny G, and when I hear Kenny G play, I hear him singing through the saxophone, you see. So it's got to be, yeah, it's, it, I love, I love, I can't sleep to music because I listen. And when you listen, you can't sleep, right? So if I'm going to listen to anything, if I'm going to doze off to sleep, it would be either a little bit of talkback radio or it would be um, some classical instrumental music, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I can't go to sleep unless I've got the radio on. And and mind you, I I start to listen to an, an interview and I don't hear the end of it. I no, because I have I have I have Google, you know. Yeah. And so I'll I'll say to that person, I can't say a name now because she'll ask me what. But I say to her, play the radio for twenty five minutes, and by the time I don't hear the end of whatever it is I'm listening to, like yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Do you enjoy periods yeah. of silence? Absolutely. Um, but you know, like there really are never any real periods of silence because when I walk the dog, I hear the birds singing. And first thing in the morning when I wake up, I hear the birds singing. So there's no such thing as true silence. You'd have to lock yourself in a booth. <laughs> <laughs> that what? <laughs> white noise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I have white. I have white noise on my phone if I'm in a hotel. Right. Because all the sounds, then I'm not familiar to the hotel room. So I'll put white noise on and that, that'll soothe me if I'm going to go to sleep. Yeah. Marcy, you've enjoyed a, a continuity of careers since I think about the age of 16. What has it been like to have this enforced break in performing, uh, perhaps over the last 18, 20 months with COVID? Unusual, to say the least. You know, unusual, but it's it's not the end. It's just something really strange that's happening in the world. I'm not the only person, the only performer that's not feeling it. We're all feeling it. But I am used to, there was a time where I didn't work, okay? So maybe, and I've never thought about that before until you've asked me. But there was a time when I had a bit of a hiatus because I was going through a legality with my record company. And um, my manager and I, both decided the best thing to do is just not record and so that was a good three years so I know what it's like not to sing but I don't know what it's like not to sing because I'll sing around the house and I'll hear myself and I shut up you know yeah I don't I don't I, <laughs> I don't sing much I'll listen to other people singing that's that's a joy yeah well following you on your social media accounts you've managed to be stay very creative even if it's just a, mm. an apple and peach pie hey yeah. Yeah, and my mosaic. I did because I do lots of mosaics. I love art, you know. And um, I, I need a really, I need a, a messy space to make art in because I'm really quite tidy. So um, I've not made any mosaics for some time, for about a year and a bit. But I look forward to finding a nice big space and <laughs> that I can walk out of and close the door, you know. Yeah. So the splashback wasn't a, a COVID project. Oh gosh, no. That that's been it's about eleven years old. Because and someone asked me, by the way, am I going to grout it? No, I don't grout everything. I grout most things, but I just didn't feel like I wanted to grout um, the splashback. No, I did that about eleven years old. So eleven years ago, when I when I first moved here, because it was just a metal. Uh, so I, I have a, a bit of color would never hurt anybody. And then the pie that was a COVID thing. I love baking. I love cooking. So um, I thought, uh, yeah. And it was a very successful apple pie. By the way, and yes, I ate the whole thing, but I made. Sure, it had splendor in it instead of sugar. So, yeah, yeah, it was a nice pie. Uh, with cream or ice cream? Neither. Neither. I don't like them. No, oh, wow. I don't like cream. I, it's funny because the other day I said to someone, oh, let's go get an ice cream. And I think that's the first time in about eight years, ten years I've had an ice cream. I'm not an ice cream person, but there's a place in Sydney called Messina. And yep. they make really specialized ice cream cones or ice cream. And I had one. What was mine? It was salted macadamia or something like that. It was very nice. I ate the whole thing, which is huge for me. I don't like ice cream. I don't like I like yogurt. That's my it, that's my guilty pleasure. I love yogurt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And a nice uh, honey infused yogurt always gets Yay. Me. Yeah. 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 It's a nice taste, it's a lovely taste. Yeah. So, Marcia, born in Boston, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. what's, your, um, what's your earliest memory? What was the first story told to you? Oh, I remember Boston. I remember, you know, um, 
I actually remember a very hot summer's day with my brother, who was 18 months older than I. And um, he was throwing a ball up against the wall, you know. And, and of course, what brothers do when they're older, they annoy. And, and um, he threw the ball up against the wall. And I remember just sort of standing up and getting the ball. And my godmother and my mother told me about it, but I remember, I remember that. And I was, I was, I wasn't very old. I was about maybe 10 months, eight months old. I don't know, but it, when children start to stand and walk, and I remember picking up the ball and then falling on my butt. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, um, Massachusetts, New England is a pretty amazing part of America. And for those people who don't realize or know this, that's where America began. And so the pilgrims, you know, landed in America and um, consequently New England was born. And um, it's a very old fashioned place. We still have cobblestone streets and gas lights. It's a stunning, just a stunning city to have been brought up in. I, um, I have great memories of parks and you know, wildlife and you know, our animals that we had as children and gardens in our backyard where my mother used to plant things and you know, um, things like fruit and vegetables. So yeah, we had a nice upbringing. Boston's lovely, lovely place. Plymouth Rock. Plymouth Rock, terribly, terribly old fashioned. So consequently, when I went to um, LA, I cried. I actually burst into tears with my manager and said, this is not America. What is this? <laughs> yeah, because compared to New England and LA, oh gosh, it's a strange place compared to where I grew up. And that was my first um, introduction to the West Coast. And it was like, oh, I, I didn't like it. I still don't like it, but I can deal with it. You know, I don't have to live there. But I, I can I can cohabitate and dwell there because I did for many of my albums. I have to go to um, L.A. and record my albums in L.A. And um, yeah, I, I did it, but it wasn't my favorite place. I, I like New York. Oh, New York's wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah, you betcha. You betcha. Yeah. yeah well, people yeah. are real. If they don't, people are real in New York. If they don't like it. They'll tell you. Where I think you know most people in L.A. They, they're, they're actors and actresses. You know, like. Yeah, LA is an industry town, isn't it? I think uh, the only reason to live there is if you're working in film or music. Correct, yeah. correct. I mean, it, it wasn't hard when I did work there, and I worked with some amazing musicians in LA, and they were all very kind. But it just wasn't my scene, you know. Where whereas New York is mine, and I, I yeah, there's a, a vibe, a great vibe in New York that I really love. But LA's changed quite a bit but it's still la la land as far as i'm concerned <laughs> friends of mine in new york tell me that uh in new york you can do something different every day of your life and i believe them absolutely yeah it's true and hear different music every day of your life as well and and that's a beautiful thing i like going to little holes in the wall and finding great listening to great musicians and, you know and being an anonymous that's the best thing when I go to America, I'm relatively anonymous and listen to Stray and stop and say, Masha. <laughs> and that happens quite often. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. So your first steps into performing and singing, did that happen around the church? Yes, absolutely. Most black children in America start singing in church. And of course, that's exactly where I started singing. I started singing my church, my mom and my church, and my brother, our church was Church of England. And so I'd go to church and then the next church I'd go to that Sunday would be my godmother's and she was Baptist and she was a blind woman and she was the head of the choir in the, the choir booth and children weren't allowed in the choir booth, but because she was blind and I let her up, I was told to sit still and I did and I, I sat there and heard all their chops and <laughs> I learned how to sing up in that box. It's um, a very demonstrative way of um, being in church also, isn't it? It's not only song, but it's clapping and uh, stomping oh, your yeah, feet. And stomping your feet in a rhythm section, usually. If you're lucky, it'll be a really good rhythm section. And the rhythm section, you know, guitar, bass, drums, organ. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, tambourine. It's all happening. So you're sitting there right in the middle of it, absorbing everything. Yeah. You betcha. <laughs> stealing everything, stealing everything I could. <laughs> yes, fabulous. Yes. Fabulous. Yeah, yeah. You were an asthmatic as a kid. I was. I was terribly sick as a child, and that's another thing. Uh, I I spent a lot of my time. I go to, to school. School starts in September, September, October, November. About December, you wouldn't see me again. 
because I was so sick. So because it's freezing cold in Boston and the snow and I wasn't allowed to go out. So in December, January, February, March, April, maybe April, I might go back to school. April. And so I'd be home by myself, you know, and um, and all my homework was sent to me. So it was interesting being that sick because kids really hook up in school. You know, they become really good friends and I'd get to school and I'd be on the outer but it didn't really bother me because I had music, <laughs> so it was okay. Yeah. Did you grow out of the asthma? I'm thinking, you know, once you started singing, did that strengthen your lungs and, and help with the Absolutely. Asthma? Yes, it did uh, immensely. So um, unless I get really run down now, uh, I, might, I might get a chest cold, but that, that that's not a normality for me. You know, I'd have to be really run down, and I try not to get run down. I try and take good care of myself. So. What was Marcia like as a teenager? Describe me, yourself. Mm, quiet, quiet. And I remember my friends would always want to go out and hang. And um, I'd say, to them, oh, okay, you're cool, cool. But I'm listening to this song. Yeah, but you were listening to it last week. I said, yeah, but I'm still listening to it. So you guys go and do what you want to do. I'm going to listen. So I'd just stay home and listen to music. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I did hang out, but not as much as they did. I really liked my own company and I really liked sort of exploring new music. And when I grew up, in, you know, I was listening to Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, Aretha Franklin, The Temptations, Diana Ross and Supremes, you know, really some really great music was coming. Good stuff. I, I, oh man, the best, <laughs> the best. Yeah. But uh, around 14, I think you get a scholarship to the, the New England Conservatorium of Music and you yeah. studying classical singing. Is that right? Yes, I did. So um, I was being um, schooled. So in America, black children, if they showed promise in the, with their marks, they would send you to another area outside of your area. So I went to a place called Hamilton, Massachusetts, and I stayed with the family five days a week. And then I traveled back home to Boston. And um, the family, the Anderson family that I stayed with, their daughter was studying at the conservatory, Lisa, she was studying piano. And the mom said to me, Mrs. Anderson said, oh, you know, you, you should, I'm going to speak to one of the teachers and see if, if you can go and study. And um, she did. And lo and behold, I won a scholarship at the New England Conservatory of Music. And uh, I went for about four months. That was it. It wasn't my thing. Like I said, I was telling, I told you how, who I was listening to. But I mean, I did learn some great breathing technique. I learned, I learned, you know, I learned what I believe I needed to learn, Peter. But um, I, um, no, it wasn't my thing. And I saw they were trying to make me something that I was not. And so luckily, you know, I'm that strong will that I just sort of said, thank you, but no thank you. <laughs> Are you having much uh, opportunity to attend live performance? And, and if so, what sort of live performance? Are you going to the theatre? Are you seeing live concerts? Yeah, that was back in the day, Peter. <laughs> Back in the day before COVID, before COVID, you know, but, um, you know, I, um, look, I'll see anything, you know, um, I think one of the best concerts, last concerts I saw was with the late and great Michael Gudinski and he brought Ed Sheeran out to Australia. And, um, I was sitting in the booth with Michael watching this astounding, I'm a huge fan of Ed Sheeran because when I go to see a show, Peter, I always look in the audience to see who's attending. Okay, and I saw kids from nine to 10, 10 to 15, 15 to 20, 25, 30, 40, 60, 70, 80. You know, that's to me, that's a performer when you appeal to that kind of a cross section of people. And um, and he stood on stage by himself, which just blew me out. He had no other musicians there and just himself and some pedals. And he had them enthralled. He had me enthralled, you know. Yeah, there's nothing more uh, invigorating than a good concert. Oh, no. It, it, you know, it's like food for my soul to watch a great performer. And then, you know, there are situations where I'll go to something and it's really bad. But whether it's good or bad, Peter, I learn. Okay? You, you know, one of the best performers I ever saw in my life was Michael Jackson. Everything I'd ever been told about executing where to go, where not to go, how to stand, center stage, it was like, I'm watching everything I've ever been told. This guy's, he was on another level of amazing when it came to a performer. Yeah. Trailblazer. And Prince. Prince was pretty incredible too. And weren't Eagles. you at Woodstock? Oh, Eagles are fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, they were. Yeah. Yes, I was at Woodstock. 
<laughs> Tell yeah. me about that. Well, nobody knew it was going to be what it became, Peter. It was um, advertised on the radio and on a radio station called WBCN in Boston, and they were saying it's going to be a huge concert. But Boston was famous for having concerts in the Boston Garden every Sunday. If somebody came to, like Buddy Miles or whoever, B.B. King, came to Boston on the Sunday, they'd do a free concert at the Boston Garden. And so it's a very musical place, Boston. And so um, the, it was on the radio all summer that this concert was going to happen. And of course, I begged my mother, Mom, please, Ma, please, can I? She said, no. I said, oh, but <laughs> she said, no, you're too young to go. Anyway, so I was the babysitter for a lady on our street who happened to want to go and she wanted to take her daughter. So she came down to my mom's house and said, look, I want to take Honoré to, to Woodstock, but, you know, I don't want the responsibility of her. And because Marsha sits her, would, can I take Marsha? My mother said, sure. So <laughs> <laughs> there it was. So we got to the gates. We got up there and we got to the gates. We tried to pay the guy on the gate money. And he said, I've lost count. Just go in. You know, every, he was just letting everybody in because it, it, nobody had ever expected it to be that big. So Honoré stayed. Honoré and her mom stayed for about uh, a day and a half and she hated it. And, and they said, we're going back to Boston. I said, see ya. So I stayed there by myself. I ran into my brother, Dwight. I ran into Dwight and he was with some friends. He didn't want to know about me. And then lo and behold, I ran into a girlfriend I used to go to camp with by the name of Lisa. And she and I stayed there for the whole duration of the concerts. And then I was walking out of the gates and someone said, hey, Marsha. And I looked up and it was somebody from my street. And they said, you want to ride home? I went, yeah. <laughs> so that's my Woodstock story. But it was pretty amazing, Peter. It was like, on another level, some of the finest musicians in the world, you know. Uh, it And it was such a vibe because I don't remember anyone getting violated or hurt. The only thing I do remember is people saying such and such just had a bad trip. Can you please come down to the stage and get them? You know what I mean? Yep, They're just yep. taking drugs in. But that's the only bad thing I can remember. You know, I can't remember anything. Nothing wow. untoward. What an experience to have had. And, you know, it's one thing to have that experience, but also to be able to share it with people that you know, I think is, yeah. is very special. Yeah. And I'm glad you had that. I, I am so glad I had that. It was pretty cool. Yeah. But no one knew. That's the thing, you know, no one knew it was going to be what it turned out to be. You know, I mean, like when someone puts on a concert, you usually know how many people are going to attend, right? <laughs> but during the hippie movement, what? I think people came from all over America. To, to attend Woodstock, you know. so it's a great thing. Harry Miller and Jim Sharman visit Boston yes. to yeah. uh, audition for a musical that they're mounting in Australia, or it had been running, and they were looking for for cast to to join. How did you hear about the audition for Hair? Okay, well, um, my best friend, her name was Linda Gaines, and Linda had a sister. And her sister is called Donna Summer. And Donna became really famous. She left Boston and went to Germany and became really famous. She was doing like Porgy and Bess. And then I think she did hair. And then her recording career just exploded. And Linda auditioned for hair in Boston and got it. Linda and I used to sing together a lot. She was like my best friend. She still is. We're still in contact with one another. She was like my best friend growing up. She and another girl. And um, Linda said, oh, look, I'm going to audition for Boston, for the Boston production of Hair. Why don't you come? I went, nah, I don't want to get stuck in Boston. You know, I just don't want to get stuck here. She said, oh, please. I said, no, no. So anyway, there were auditions being held in um, the Mayfair, Mayflower, Mayflower Theater in Boston. I think it's Mayfair, Mayflower. Anyway, I heard about it through a friend who was a very talented actor. And they said to him, oh, you're really good, but what we want is rough diamonds. You're just too polished. She said, oh, I know just the girl, but she's underage. I'll speak to her mother. And he went spoke to mom and mom said, you know, how do you feel about going for an audition in, for another country? I went, uh, I think that would be great. <laughs> so I, I, <laughs> I auditioned and it was so funny because Linda and her friends were behind the curtain pulling faces at me, trying to make me blow the audition, which I'll never forgive her for, but I didn't blow it. And it was actually Jim Sharman and Sandra McKenzie who came to Boston. And they, they found me in Boston. And maybe about nine or 10 days later, I was on a plane to Australia. Wow. At the age of 16, 
I mean, at yeah. sixteen, we're 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 pretty indestructible. We're ready to take on anything. But but what you did know you that, poor, right? What did your poor mum think about that? She said, "You know what's right and what's wrong. This is this is a chance in a lifetime. You know, do you want to do this?" And I said, "And I was getting great money, you know, and they were accommodating me once I sort of once I settled in. You know, we all sort of lived together in um, a home. You know, and and it was." It's a pretty cool thing. And I'm still pretty close, very close to a lot of the people that, that I did hair with, you know, and I had some great people around me like Reg Livermore and John Waters, you know, um, some amazing performers. And they were all very kind. And Reg kind of took me under his wing and really influenced me greatly as a human being. And I'll always thank him for that. He's a good guy. Good man. Yeah. He's indeed. Yeah. You'd found your yeah. tribe. I found my tribe. We still the tribe we just had dinner just before covid shut down we all got together and had a great big dinner it's very funny because we know each other like the back of our hands you know it's very nice and yeah god bless them all they're great great people so what did you know about australia before you were heading over did you think (laughs) kangaroos jumped down the street (laughs) honestly can i tell you what i thought i thought i was going to us i thought i was going to austria <laughs> yeah, you know, I was really bummed when I got here and everybody spoke English and I wanted to learn another language. But anyway, I worked it out really quickly that it was for Australia, you know. And what did I think about it? I'd only heard negative things about it, about the all white policy. Yeah. Australian policy. That's all I'd heard. And I said to my mom, What do I do? She said, I don't think that's true. Just go. She said, Yeah, that's not true. You, of course, had grown up during the civil rights movement too, so... I sure did, yes, I sure did. That was pretty full-on, you know. I mean, I was in school when Kennedy died and, you know, all of the parents were outside of the school picking us up, which was a very unusual thing. And I said to my mom, what's going on? And she said, oh, the president, they've shot the president. He's not dead yet. Let's let's get home and so watch TV and see what's going on. So, and then Martin Luther King, of course, and then Kennedy's brother, and then, you know, it just didn't stop. It just, just didn't stop. But America's a pretty crazy place, man. You know, the George Floyd thing really blew me out because I had thought I left that. It was done. But no, I hadn't left that. You know, America's still pretty um, fragmented. Yes, terribly fragmented, yes. Yeah, there's there's much healing to be done. Oh, I think there's much healing to be done all over the world, unfortunately. All over still. the world. All over the world. Maybe that's what COVID is. I don't know. Uh, yeah, a chance to for the world to reset itself. Yes, because everything was everybody was so busy doing nothing. <laughs> now we're really busy doing nothing. <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> so you land in Australia, and I believe you are met at the airport by a famous publicist Paddy Moston. The one and only. The one and only Patty. So she was my first real Australian because I didn't really meet Sandra and um, Jim. But um, she picked me up from the airport and took me to the theatre so I could meet the tribe. And uh, we're still pretty close to good old Patty. <laughs> yeah. Had you landed, what was the season? Was it summer? Did you arrive to this oppressive heat and think? Oh, gosh, no. It was no, nah, it was just about n- April. It was April. Right. April. So it was April. Yeah. 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 It was about April. So it, it wasn't too bad. It was nice, you know? Yeah. So I don't get you. I, you haven't got representation at this point. Is is Harry it, M representing you? Or how did you uh, work out a deal? You represented yourself? Oh, gosh, no. Harry M was my um, guardian until I was 21. Right, of course, you'd need one. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, sure. And he took care of me, and I knew, and you know, like he, I, I think he had a nice conversation with my ma, <laughs> and I know my mother was to love my mother. My mother was she didn't suffer fools. Yeah, you know, and I mean, after all, I was a one and only daughter, so yeah, you got to look after the daughter. <laughs> you bet. They would have had a conversation. For sure. And he was so lovely because he was always very kind to my mother because my mother came out here to live in the end. And um, he'd always visit mom and, and ask me how she was. And even when um, Harry um, died from terrible dementia and I'd visit him at the home and he'd actually say to me, how's your mom? 
you know, and as you would to a person with dementia, let's say she's just fine and she sends her regards, you know. So, and it's funny because he, he didn't remember much, but I'd go and visit him and he'd say, Masha, how are you? <laughs> I would just, just melt you, you know, melt you. Yeah. He's a good guy, Harry. Very fair boss, incredibly fair. So was he like a, a second dad? Yeah. Or oh, first dad, because my dad died when I was six months old. So, okay. you know, he sort of took over. Not, not a real dad, 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 but, you know, he kept an eye. <laughs> you bet he did, yeah. He kept an eye out for me, you know. And he was very fair in the sense that um, each year when we'd renegotiate a contract with him, I'd always just want to go back to America to see my mom. And he and back then it, it cost you, you know, the, the fee was your first child and, you know, every a year's wage to fly back to America. It was ridiculous. And so he'd fly me back and that was my my rise each year. That that worked really nicely. Yeah. Yeah. Important to see your mom. Yeah. You bet. Just important to see my friends. And, you know, I mean, at that point in time, though, the, the more I went back, the more I realized I had really I had really changed. And I didn't grow up in America as a, a black American child. I grew up in America as a West Indian because my mother and father were both from Jamaica. Right. So my upbringing, my upbringing was kind of different, kind of different. You became a mum in Australia. I did. Was that sort of uh, becoming um, Australia becoming more of a home for you then, because because you were having a sure. child here? Yeah, sure. We, we, your support system wherever you are is a very important thing. And a couple of the other girls in the show had had babies, much to Harry's dismay. But anyway. He was very disappointed in us, but he didn't fire us, which was really good. So, you know, a couple of the other girls had babies and all the kids have grown up relatively close too. But, you know, um, having a child makes you no longer a child, Peter. Yeah. You grow up very quickly. So, yes, when you have someone who is relying on you for everything, not just one thing, but everything. So you just have to grow up. And, you know, I was always taught to deal with your, you deal with whatever it is you do. If that's what your lot is, then, and I wouldn't change it because I have no more. So I just have one child. How long before you were back on stage after you met Denny? 14 days. Okay, two weeks. Not even 14 days. No, not even 14 days. So yeah, it was about nine or 10 days after I had Denny. But once again, you know, bulletproof, 16. I was 17, 17 years old, you know, like, and I was really fit because I worked on stage until the night she was induced. Wow. Yeah. So, and then my, um, my doctor came to see the show and told me what he thought I should and shouldn't do on yep. stage because it's quite a bit of choreography. And so he told me what I should and shouldn't do. And I listened to what he said. And then, you know, I had him. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it played the Metro Theatre in King's Cross, a, a space yeah. which um, there's a petition and a, and a fight to sort of salvage that theatre. Wouldn't it be lovely to see that open again as a venue? It would be. Um, I live very close to the Metro and I, I walk past it a few times a week maybe and um, or, or drive my car past it. And it would be great. I just don't know what they would do about parking. Arriving by train perhaps or... Arriving by train or, 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 or Uber. Yeah. Uber, uh, Uber is our, is our yeah. godsend. I love Uber. Yeah. Don't you? I love it. Yeah. Especially when I'm, oh, when I'm interstate, you know, I don't need it. Because I usually take my, I used to take my car interstate, but now it's just like, nah, no need. Just get an Uber. The, the Hayes Theatre is in uh, Potts Point in the cross. It does all right with limited Yes, time. it does. It's yeah. in Greeno Avenue. It's in Greeno Avenue. Yeah, it does. It does. But once again, you know, there is there are spots around there where you can park because you've got the cross up to your left and, you know, there are spots. But And it's not nowhere near as big as the Metro. I'm not sure how many people the Metro hold. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure, but it's a much bigger theatre. Beautiful Art Deco building, though, but I don't believe they'll knock it down. If they were going to... Someone said something about apartments there. I don't know. George Miller had it. George yeah, it was Miller. his offices, yeah. Correct, yeah. So he had it. But right now I don't think it's functioning as anything at the moment. Here was a seminal work of musical theatre, not a very conventional musical. I mean, in a way, yeah, it was the, ha the Hamilton of its day. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, yeah. If not even stranger than Hamilton, I'd say. 
you know, because we had the nude scene that everybody talked about. But the truth of the matter is, if you blinked, you missed it. And it wasn't full on lighting. It was very dim lighting. And we didn't stand there for very long. And once it was over, we disappeared. You know, it wasn't what you would consider full frontal nudity right now. In your face, <laughs> nudity, which is what's happening now, you know. So anyway, it was yeah. a very, cl- a very clever gimmick to sell the show. I think to get all. It was, yeah. yeah, yeah. But every show needs that. You know, every show needs a, cle- a clever gimmick to get people in of some sort. Be it the music, be it the dancing, be it you know the lighting. Who knows? But every show, it, I mean, yeah, like showbiz. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Did it attract yeah. any any censorship or? or the police in any way because of uh, the themes or the language or the nudity that was being discussed no, on stage? No, I think anything like that um, um, was sort of like vetoed or, or, or kept away from us as the kids on stage. I mean, I think a lot of people hated it and, and spoke their minds, but it wasn't going to stop it. I mean, it was a world phenomenon, and it was about something relatively important terribly important, which is the Vietnam War. It wasn't just us getting our, our clothes off. We are trying to say, like, the war is stupid, you know, bigger than stupid. Well, well, the Vietnam War didn't finish till 75, and I think hair originated around 69. So it right. was very resonant, wasn't it? It was it was speaking of the redundancy of war and um, making a very profound political comment. Yes, and, and I still feel that way. I still feel that way. Ha- having lived through being in Boston and friends of mine who had been um, had gone to war and they came back, but in bags, boxes, you know, and then the ones who didn't come back mentally strong, you know, I mean, it- it's one of those strange things, Peter, in which I don't understand how there's no- there's nothing nice about war. No- nobody's nice in war. But like you go to another country and you hurt and maim and perhaps kill people, and then you come back to the world as they used to refer to it, the, the Vietnam, the guys who, the, the soldiers from Vietnam who came, American guys, they refer to Australia as the world. And then they're expected to go back to something so normal, but what they've just done is not normal. So. You know, and they weren't appreciated, but they are now. No, but, you know, they are now, which is important. But that that was some hard stuff. I saw a lot of stuff in Boston, and I saw even heavier stuff in Australia, hearing guys talk about living in a carcass of a, of a, a cow motionless as the Viet Cong walked past them. You know, that Horrible stuff stories. was real. Oh, man. Those guys are heroes. They're all heroes as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Nobody wins in war, least of all humanity. True. Yeah. True. You make history with your next show, Jesus Christ Superstar, as yeah. the first black woman to star as Mary Magdalene. Mm-hmm. Who is to know? <laughs> I mean, I, I, look, it was it's interesting because the, the, the war stopped and um, Harry pulled hair, the show because it was really no longer relevant, okay? And so um, I remember seeing Jesus Christ Superstar in Melbourne and just calling Harry saying, oh gosh, I'd really love to do that show. Can I do it? Can I do it? He said, no, you're one of the last members of Hair. So just stick with that show. And then once Hair was done and dusted, I got a call from Harry saying, do you want to play Mary Magdalene in Jesus Christ Superstar? I said, let me think. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, yes, please, yes, please, yes, please. And so, and then, you know, the proviso was, it was Harry M. and Gary Van Eggman, and they owned the show, and they said to me, look, we'll give you a week and a bit to see how you go in the part, and if it doesn't work, you understand, okay? I said, sure, but I got the gig, which is good. (laughs) That was nerve-wracking, you know, that was really nerve-wracking. But I got the gig, and I learned from a great chick called Michelle Ford, and she she taught me the, the show, and I learned it in Melbourne, and um, I reopened it in Sydney, yeah. Michelle would have been doing the show when you saw it. Did you think mm-hmm. for a second that you would ever have the opportunity to play Mary Magdalene? Oh, no, not even. Oh, God, no. I just wanted to be in it. 
See, yeah. because even the choral work, because that was Patrick Flynn who did the choral work, the choral work in that show is just on another level. That's when mm -hmm. I first heard Stevie Wright and um, John Paul Young sing. And I went, who the hell are those guys? Yeah, they were great. Yeah. And Red was in it as um, Herod, you know, but it was a great, it, just a wonderful show. And I've never seen mechanics like that, you know, like the set and the dodecahedron, the ball that flew off. And it was just. Yeah, that wonderful yeah, Brian it, Thompson design. I love Brian. Yeah. yeah. Good dude. Yeah. You mentioned those cast members. There were also John English and Chrissy Amphlett, um, yeah. Graham well, Russell Chris and Russell Hitchcock. Yeah. Um, um, Chrissy wasn't in it when I was in it. Um, um, well, she might, yeah, she might have been. Yeah, she was. She was in it. All those people, except for the Hancock. They then left to go. They had left because one of the brothers in Air Supply was married to Harry's wife then, Wendy, and they left to do Air Supply. They left the show to be to do become air supply. Not Whatever bad. happened to them? Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, they're the best. They're the best guys. Your daughter Denny also had the opportunity to play Mary Magdalene yeah. in a revival production. What a lovely serendipity. That was lovely. I remember sitting in the audience and she sang, and as she after she finished, I went, "Go, Denny." <laughs> <laughs> which, which is really mom, not a cool thing. Mom, yeah, don't call that. That's exactly <laughs> what she said. Mom, you know, but she knows me, so it's okay. <laughs> is it around that time that you have your first single released, uh, Fire and Rain, and, and have a big hit with that? Yeah, I, I recorded Fire and Rain when I was in Superstar with Charles Fisher, who's famous producer for... Um, Savage Garden. He was my producer. And um, I recorded it in a studio in Sydney called Trafalgar. And then from that, I was on tour with the Daily Whistle Big Band. And so we went to Russia, England, and America. And um, I remember being in Russia, and my manager called me and said, Peter called me and said, Oh, look, Masha, you, you know, you've got um, the songs, like, I don't know what number it was. It, it, it's number one or it was a hit. And I went, Really? Who bought it? I mean, maybe, <laughs> really? And then, you know, it, to know Russia is to love Russia back in the day. And um, the, the phone just cut out, which was a normality, you know, the phone just, yep. you know, talking to STD. Air. Anyway. Yeah, <laughs> what's that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And remember, you'd have a voice on those long distance calls, and, and and every ten minutes or something, this voice would or or beeps, pips to tell you that Beep, you've just clocked up another another fifty dollars, thousand dollars, thousand. Yeah. Back in the day, you know, someone asked me the other day, "Oh, do you have a landline?" I went, "For what? <laughs> what's that?" I mean, yeah, really, yeah, yeah. So around this time, is your anonymity beginning to disappear? You're becoming to more well-known and people are recognising you. How do you deal with that, that fame? Um, fame is a very interesting thing. And um, I don't think you see it coming because you're usually working so hard. You're looking at everybody else thinking, oh, gosh, they're doing, oh, my goodness, isn't that? Yeah, but the, and back in the day, I worked really hard. Like I was on the road maybe six months, seven months a year of the year. So that's a lot of work, you know. And so, oh, look, I was aware because the records were selling and the popularity was great. And when you go to do a gig, it's full. Nothing nicer than that, you know. And my manager was very clever, Peter and I. We we went through all, like you mentioned, Ballarat, Shepparton. We went through all areas that most people never went to. And not only did we go there, we take a great show. People in the country deserve to see you more than the people in the city, because in the city it's very ho hum, you're arrogant. Uh, but you know what I mean. Like so, you you bring an event to um, a city, people never forget that. And that was, I think, that was a large part of my success with. Um, recording and having people come to our shows. And that's my favorite thing. I love I love live performance because you got nowhere to go, you know. It's <laughs> you're on. And and I like the pressure. It's much pressure. Yeah. It's raw, it's authentic, it's uh real, it's real. It's real. Yeah. That's why so many actors keep going back to Broadway. You know, famous actors keep going back to Broadway because it's real. 
it doesn't get more real than a live performance. You know, there's nowhere to hide. No. You, know, you are what you are. Yeah. In 94, you become an Australian citizen. Yes. When did you decide to call Australia home, do you think? Um, a, a long time before that, because it was home. And then, you know, I was actually asked by the government to become a citizen and I could keep my American citizenship. And so, because I never wanted to lose that, you know, I never wanted to lose that. So I, I have both passports. So does my daughter. So we both have American and Australian. And I just think it, it, it's just a piece of paper that makes it so much easier to get into America. Okay. Instead yeah. of, you know, yeah. So that, that's the reason I have, have it. And I've got family there as well. So. Yeah. Yeah. You still need to visit. Yeah. You bet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is definitely home though. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I was going to say, when we can visit again. <laughs> That'll be nice. <laughs> As I roll my eyes. Yeah, it will be nice. Mm. Well, here in, in Jesus Christ Superstar, uh, uh, what we would affectionately call rock operas, I, I guess, as far as musicals Absolutely. go, you venture into a very traditional musical theatre with Jerry's Girls in around yeah. 1987 and, and the music of, yeah. of Jerry Herman. Did you know much about Jerry Herman? Sure, because he wrote Hello, Dolly. So, yeah. you know, um, and I just knew that he was um, a writer of great show tunes, and I knew most of them. You know, most girls do know most of those songs because they're big production numbers, and who doesn't love a big production number? He, I love them. <laughs> so, it was great, and it was a great cast, you know, and it was very different because it was most definitely a Broadway show. You know, with very little of any dialogue, just song after song after song, costume after costume after costume. It was a great show to do. Good camaraderie with the cast too. Well, an all-female cast: uh, Judy Knappi, mm -hmm. De Deb Byrne, Jeannie Little, Lola Nixon, Angela Reyes. At one point, what's it like being part of an entirely female ensemble? Because you know, you'd been working in with shows with with fellas and and on the road. Yeah. I suppose there are a lot of men, but but when you're all girls, what's the energy like? It's a very good energy because I think most most women mean well. I think most women have got hearts of gold. And especially if the woman knows who she is, okay? And, and those women knew who they were. They were very strong characters and we all supported each other greatly. So it was it was a very good show to do. It was a very good show to do. Hard, my, my, my bit was, I had, to, I had this really beautiful gown and I it weighed about maybe, mm, Eight pounds, that's a lot, okay? Mm. And I had to walk down a, a, a spiral staircase every night. I'd stand at the top of that thing going, oh, please, God, don't let me trip. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was hard. But it was a good show. It was fun. And, you know, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't deep or heavy. It was just song after song by Jerry, and it was lovely. And that's we actually met um, Joan Rivers. She came out and saw the show, and she was lovely back in the day. There, yeah, lovely. Little thing, little, tiny. Yeah, what a trick, what a trick. The publicity yeah. at the time, I, I came across a lovely quote that you'd said. Um, it's like a little explosion happening inside of me. I'm an emotional person. It's like bleeding when, when you sing, so there's got to be conviction. I've tried to base my career on conviction. I tried to base yep. my career on believing every song, any song I've ever recorded that you've heard me record, I believe in it. Because I don't sing it well if I don't believe in it, you know. And if I don't think that the story is a part of my life, I don't really, I can't. Well, I can, but it, it's not believable to me. And at the end of the day, when I have to listen to what I record, which I don't, by the way, very often, unless I've got to learn it for a reason, I don't really listen to myself. I'll listen to anybody on earth except me, right? When I hear me, I always think, oh, gosh, I wish I'd, oh, why didn't you sing that note much? You could have said I analyze it and tear it to pieces, so it's not a nice thing. Whereas if I listen to somebody else, I love what they do because I have no idea what's in their head. But you know, like, but singing, as I said earlier, it's it's storytelling. So if I don't believe the story, I'm not going to tell it. Right. Well, in Jerry's Girls, you had a few fabulous stories to tell. Uh, it only takes mm -hmm. a moment from Hello Dolly, yeah. Tap Your Troubles Away, So Long Dearie from Hello Dolly, Shalom from Milk and Honey, yeah. which is is just yeah. beautiful. Um, if he walked into my life. Mame. Yes. Yeah. That's I'd I'd love to see you play Mame. You'd be a fabulous Mame. Oh, well, um, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and also yeah. 
from Lacage Jafal, I am what I am, which has since that uh, Lacage has become very much a gay anthem done by a lot of performers. Your gay fans have been very dear to you, haven't they? They're my family. They are my family. And they have always been from the very beginning, you know, when, you know, everybody's career goes in peaks and troughs, but they were always accepting to me and they were always, they'd always give me great gigs. I, I had a great gig where I closed um, Mardi Gras one year and I remember going home. My mother said, how was it? I said, I think I could die now. I think I know what love is. <laughs> you know, I said, I don't think I get my, I could die now. You know, so, you know, I've done Mardi Gras and um, yeah, the gay community is a very large part of my family and I am what I am. It says it all. Funny, huh? Written yeah. so long ago. Written so long ago, but it is what it is. Still around. Says yeah, it all. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, are You Lonesome Tonight, a, a play yes. about Elvis Presley, in which you played a vocally inept maid. You didn't Absolutely, get to sing in that totally. one. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. It was great because I had to sing really badly, and you don't know how hard it is to sing badly. So I just sang every note I could find in my head, you know, like, and so, and um, the, the play was based on the last 14 hours of Elvis Presley's life. Yep. And I was his cook and I was the only person that had given him lip. It was great because I fed him, you know, but um, it was, I read the script, Peter, and I remember I cried. I thought, what a drag, what a horrible life to have led, mm. you know, because he was totally nocturnal. He couldn't do anything. He couldn't go anywhere, you know. Um, yeah, one of the many, one of the, uh, just one of the many trailblazers in music as well. It's amazing. He, you obviously would have been a fan of his. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. I saw Aloha from Hawaii, sure, and then not long after that he passed away. Yeah. The king. The king, for sure. And you've got to be the queen for three I years did. or so, didn't you? Yeah. And, and, yeah. and in many respects, you still are the queen. Well, thank you very much. Um, yeah, the Queen of Pop was fun, you know, and um, I still have my award somewhere in the corner in that room. Yeah, you can, I can see, see that gold thing standing? Shining? Yeah, absolutely. That's, yeah. that's my Queen of Pop, one of them. And the, the crowns I lent, I lent to some queens and I've never seen them since. <laughs> 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 that's true, it's true, yeah. Big River in 1989, uh, music mm -hmm. score by Roger Miller, who was a, a country music performer and, and composer. Yeah. So do you yeah. like country music? Yeah. yeah. You know, I like country music because it's honest. Dolly Parton would be one of my favourite performers. And it's very story-driven too. Oh, fantastic. Vince Gill, I love good country music. Charlie Pride was pretty cool. He's one of the first really big black guys and then the guy from um hoodie hoodie and the blowfish he's become a huge star too um i forgot his name but the lead singer from hoodie and the blowfish the black guy is, is now a country and western singer and very very good song yeah willie nelson don't let the old man in have you heard that song yeah yeah beautiful yeah i love that song so i love willie yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I do like country music very very much yeah big review you played alice and you were joined on stage by daughter Denny. Was that the first time that you appeared on stage together? Uh, what do you think? Was it? Yeah, in a play. Yeah, sure, in a play. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But every once in a while, and every once in a while, she would do like a guest appearance on one of my gigs or something, you know. But yeah, and it was so funny. And Vanetta Fields, the famous Vanetta Fields, who used to sing with um, Barbara Streisand, John Farnham. Yeah. She was in the show too. And we had, we look, you need to know, we had a ball. Cameron, Cameron, Dado was um, Huck. Huck and Finn. we're still pretty close. Yeah, we're pretty close. Yeah. Good guys. Good. I like plays because it's a camaraderie. And if you don't say your line, the next person can't say his or sing his, his, sing his songs. So, you know, you have to be on time. You have to be there. You have to be present and you have to be responsible for your gig. So. A couple of your old mates were in it also playing Pap Finn at various stages. Yeah. So did you were you working with Dougie Parkinson or John English when you when you did Big River as as Huck's father? Um I I think it was John had left, I think. And I think 
Doug Parkinson. Yeah, Doug Parkinson and John Bell were in the show at that point. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Had you read Huckleberry Finn growing up? Was that a book at school? I'm American. Or? Of course, everybody <laughs> reads it. It's one of my I'm favorite American. books. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. You my have bad. To know my about bad. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, it's all right. Um, are you su superstitious in the theatre, Marcia? Do you? Um... No, I know that you're not supposed to say stuff in there. Yeah. I don't. I mean, like, I was only told, it's funny, a Big River was the first place that I'd heard that thing where you don't say blah, 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 blah. So I, I, I wouldn't. But am I superstitious in the theatre? No. Um, no, 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 no. I try and carry good vibes wherever I go, you know. So superstition, you know, black cats and matters. Nah. Uh, no, no, no. Do you have Do you have a routine or a ritual that you go through on opening nights? Is it something to 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 bless yourself or to just to focus and prepare yourself? I just do a vocal warm up. I do a yep. big vocal. Um, you know, I'm famous for my warm up because yeah, I, I do a big vocal warm up so I know where my voice is, and that's from the opera upbringing, right? And um, no, uh, not really. No. No, I just sort of like to know where my voice is. I might try and find a little bit of quiet because the guys don't stop. The guys, back, the musicians just don't stop telling jokes and blah, blah. But I always find a quiet place to be for a minute or two. Yep. And then I just gather my thoughts and think about what it is I want to do when I go on stage. And I go on stage and hope for the best. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> well, a show that you... I imagine you would be right at home with Saturday Night Fever in 2019, oh, I think, which was a merge of the film and the Bee Gees soundtrack. It must be a joy to sing disco. I love disco because, you know, uh, we talked about the Vietnam War, which was a very sad time in our history. Any war is. And then, lo and behold, here comes all this strange but wonderful fashion and all these great songs that have brought joy after such a sad time, you know? And I think the disco era will live on for years because it's in the movies too, Peter. Most movies, they use it as a soundtrack. And if your parents haven't driven you crazy, if you're a younger person, by playing it on the weekend when we used to have barbecues and parties, right? Yeah. You hear it, you'll hear it in movies. And I think that's why it's living and it's joyous. You know, I think it's very important. We don't have much joy at the moment. And so I think, you know, a lot of that music brings back great memories. And looking in an audience, I'll see older people singing the songs. I'll see their kids singing it, you know, and I think that's a great thing. I think disco is great fun. There are no sad great. songs in disco. Oh, there'll be boohoo love songs, but that's about it. Boohoo bring boohoo. <laughs> <laughs> is disco difficult to sing? I, I, no. I imagine it would be. No, no. It's because well, it's got those big long notes and uh, a brass section. To, oh, that's all good. Uh, brass sections keep you real, they keep you in tune. But um, the thing, if you were to ask me, is an aria hard to sing? I'd go, mm hmm. But if you ask me, disco, no. I mean, it's a funny thing when you hear a song, you think uh, you like the song, and then someone will suggest that you should sing it, and you sing it, and you don't realize how difficult it is, you know. Like the, the song I remember that I thought was terribly difficult was an Earth, Wind and Fire song, um, September. Oh, yeah. yeah. That, that, yep. That's, yeah. So, but Earth, Wind and Fire were very clever musicians. They, you know, like um, that music was really well written. And the Bee Gees, you know, all this stuff. I, I Yeah, great. I have great memories of that music. Great. I lived it. I'm still living it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do, do you have a favorite disco song? Because you released Discotheque, a, a wonderful yeah. album, which I've been Will listening to a, a lot lately. Um, yeah, I never knew Love Like This this before. That's one of my favorite songs. That, yeah. That's just, and I've been a fan of Stephanie Mills for years, and she originally sang it. But never knew Love Like This before. It's just uh, one of those really nice, uplifting, mm. kind of happy songs, yeah. Mm -hmm. Everybody likes love, so yeah. 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 We all go through it at some point. <laughs> <laughs> you kiss a lot of frogs. <laughs> Still looking for that prince. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> now, Marcia, I have to ask you, how do you react when you get a call from John Frost saying that he wants you to play a dragon? 
Send me the song. I said, <laughs> send me. I, but I love Shrek. I love Shrek. I adore that cartoon. It's a great cartoon. And the greatest thing about doing the dragon part was um, for those people who don't know about Shrek, she's in love with Donkey. And in the end, Donkey falls in love with her. And Donkey is Shrek's best friend. But watching the, 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 the play come to life with the costumes and all the characters, it was like actually watching the cartoon come to life on stage, you know. And I played the dragon. I sang it in a booth. And the guys, the, there were about six guys puppeteering it, maybe five guys, but four, yeah, five guys puppeteering it. And so I'd sing it, sit in the booth, and they actually worked out how I sang, and the puppet's mouth would open and close to sound like me. So it was clever. It was very clever. And once again, joy, a joyous, very joyous musical. I love doing it. Great cast. Yeah. Great cast. Lots of lots of laughs and uh, yeah. a really a really optimistic, positive message. A beautiful message. Never judge a book. Yeah. Kissing a lot of frogs before you find your ogre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With any luck, yeah. <laughs> Shrek was one of those shows, I think, one of the first that, that was stopped and impacted by the arrival of COVID. We, were you doing Shrek when we got the word that everything now stops? In Queensland? Yeah. Oh, well, okay, so... Make a long story real longer. I was doing a show called Velvet Rewired in Adelaide at the festival, Adelaide Festival. And I'd already done my season with Shrek in Sydney. I left Shrek to do my Adelaide season and I was supposed to pick it up again in Melbourne. So there were whispers in Adelaide about some sickness or virus, that was, and but nobody really paid much attention to it. Yeah. And then I flew from Adelaide with my cat, by the way, I travel with my cat. And uh, we flew from Adelaide to Melbourne and I got to my digs and went, oh, this is very nice. Anyway, I got there. We got a phone call from um, the powers that be for Shrek to say they we're going to have a, a meeting. And when you walked in the street in Melbourne, you could feel something was untoward. And I know Melbourne as well as I know Sydney, basically. And it was really not a good vibe. You know, and so we had the meeting and they said, Shrek's over. And I mean, like, it just, that was one of the saddest things I can remember in this industry because I'm cool, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm an established performer. And um, watching all these kids say to the powers that be, what, what do you mean it's over? You know, is it, is it going to start again? And they said, no, it's not going to start again. And that was so sad to see all, the, and, you know, and the questions and the tears, it was like heartbreaking, you know? And that was the first signs of COVID in the theater and my industry, in the music industry as well. So I flew home with the cat and um, maybe about six months, five months later, we got a phone call saying Shrek's gonna start again in um, Brisbane. And we went up to Brisbane and we all had to be tested and blah, 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 blah. And then we had a four-day lockdown in Brisbane. At QPAC, when the lockdown stopped, we were allowed to do half an audience with masks, half capacity. And then once that finished, we were allowed full capacity, no masks. And I think in the end, my numbers will be strange, but there's about 52,000 people we played to in six weeks. Wow. How cool is that? Yeah. yeah. So it just shows you, you know, just shows you, Peter, we need some joy. We need, we need theater. We need the escape that theater is, you know, I used to stand on stage and watch Todd McKinney's. I love Todd. And yeah. he, he was, he was Fakwa. And I'd crack up or whatever he did every night, you know, and we became very close and he was a good person to have in the cast and we hung out and he's a good dude. He's a good person. So, so Velvet Rewired, of course, was the follow-on from Velvet, another mm -hmm. disco-focused show that you were doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A, a lot of fun, Velvet, based on a, a Studio 54 vibe, if you like. Did you ever go to Studio 54? I did. I went once to New York, yeah. It was okay. It wasn't all that. But it was different. You know, I mean, there were some characters in there that you'd never see in Australia. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was, it was um, most definitely, you know, different. It was um, ab ab absolutely very different. And um, yeah, it was a, 
Yeah, an experience. I'll just put it down to that. It was actually an experience. Yeah. Playing um, the the diva. Were you playing the diva in in Velvet? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the diva kind of slash. Um, what do you call it? The diva kind of slash. Um, MC. Peacemaker. Peacemaker. No, peacemaker, no. Peacemaker. Right? Jo- jo- Joey. Joey Acaria was the the the, the person that we all um, gravitated around. He was the DJ. But it was a great. It's a great show, and we're supposed to open. I should be at the Opera House now doing it. And um, because of COVID, it's been postponed into 2022. So, but like I keep saying, I'm not the only person who's had their gig cancelled. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we look forward to to Velvet Rewired uh, next year and um, see you in all of your glory, centre stage. Me too. <laughs> me too. Me too. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Marcia, it's been a, a delight to to um, reminisce about some of the, the stage performances that you've given us uh, over the years. Thank you so much. Uh, you are My pleasure. You are the queen, and um, oh. <laughs> and I appreciate this, uh, this conversation <laughs> very much. Thank you. Oh, it's totally my pleasure. Totally my pleasure. And you take it. Where are you? In Sydney or Melbourne? Or where are you? I'm in. I'm in Sydney. Oh, good. Okay. Well, see, it's a beautiful day, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's, it's gorgeous. Yes, I did my big walk this morning and um, got out in the sun. It's. Uh, we're very lucky, aren't we, to have this climate? Yeah, but look at where we live. You know, we're pretty lucky. You know, yeah. look at where we live. It's pretty. If you see me, give me a hoi. Say hello. I will indeed. I will indeed. Okay. All okay. right, you take good care. Nice yep. to speak to you, Peter. God bless. You too. Thanks, Marcia. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Wow, that was a privilege to record. I, I have been in awe of Marsha Hines for a lifetime, so to meet the lady was one of the highlights of my year. And I know that you too have got a kick out of hearing her anecdotes and bear witness to her tremendous resilience, determination and spirit. Thank you, Marsha, for your generosity and wisdom in this episode of Stages. Thanks to the team at Rick's Management also for coordinating this episode. Thanks for joining us. You can check out all of the episodes featured in the podcast thus far by visiting our website, www.stagespodcast.com.au. I'm Peter Eyes. Keep well, keep warm, stay safe, and I'll catch you next time. Music.